I want to speak about how to be wise in a foolish world. How to be wise in a foolish world. Um, there was a young boy who once approached his father and he said to his father, he said, Dad, why does the wind blow? His father replied, I don't know, son. So the son then asked, Dad, where do the clouds come from? Father replied, I don't know, son. Dad, what makes a rainbow? No idea, son. Dad, do you mind me asking you all these questions? No, not at all, son. How else are you going to learn? <laughs> now, we learn by asking questions. We develop and mature by getting the right answers. And the first mention in the Bible of the word wisdom is found in Genesis 3 and verse 6. Adam and Eve were a perfect couple. They lived in a perfect world and God had placed them in a perfect garden. And Satan, in what we believe was the form of a snake, came to Eve and tempted her. The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Eve's disobedience opened the way for foolishness to enter into our world. Because foolishness is invariably rooted in disobedience, in going against what is right and proper. Wisdom is about having success, it's about insight, it's about understanding and knowledge. It's the ability to judge and act according to God's directions, and it is the rightful application of knowledge. Now, in Psalm 53 and verse 1, you'll probably know this verse. It says, only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. And whilst I don't think that any of you on the screen this morning are fools, when it comes to the statement in Psalm 53 and verse 1, the problem is that worldly foolishness encourages us to live every day as if there was no God. This is the reality of the world in which we find ourselves, that for many people, they just live their lives without any sense of acknowledgement of God. We find that we have a generation now that, for example, don't respect police officers. I remember as a boy growing up, I was terrified of a policeman. And policemen would cuff you round the ear if you were cheeky, if you misbehaved in some way. And we had incredible respect for authority. And it's interesting that the word authority is rooted in the word author. And the author of life is none other than God himself. So where there is no respect for God, the author of life, we find that that breaks down into society and there is very little respect for authority in our world today. 
And so every day, moment by moment, at our fingertips, we are fed a godless form of wisdom. Let me quote something from uh, a book, Faith in Exiles. It says, the songs we listen to, the films and TV shows that we watch, the digital platforms that we socialize on, the news we consume, all of these are more and more create a vision of what is real and how best to respond to that reality. Our digital world is constantly telling us at a very deep level, almost an unconscious level, what to believe, how to think, what to feel and how to live. Now, it might seem that in the last few weeks I've been banging on about the digital world and iPhones and things like that. But I really believe that we are in danger of being seriously deceived in the way in which we find ourselves in our world. Yesterday, um, Janice and I and Silas were on a uh, day of prayer for Assemblies of God. There were over 700 of us on Zoom. It was incredible. People from South Africa, pe people from um, Kazakhstan and different parts of the world. It, it was really rather interesting. And technology worked reasonably well. And um, it was good. But somebody said in that time that we are now being discipled by social media. Just think of that for a moment. We are now being discipled by social mm. media. I'll read you something. I would recommend that you, you get this book. Here it is, Faith for Exiles. And the subtitle is Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Based on research, and the suggestion is that we are now, as it were, living in a digital Babylon, just as the people of God in the Old Testament were exiled and carried away into Babylon. Well, they're saying that that's how it is for us now in our world. It's as if we're living in as exiles in a digital world that influences us, that directs us, that feeds into our thinking and ultimately in, instructs our behavior. Really interesting and useful book. But just something out of this book that I found quite interesting. This was from a researcher with Microsoft. Okay, a researcher with Microsoft, whose name was Jargon Lanier. Um, he's written, written a book which is entitled 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. 10 arguments for deleting your social media accounts right now. Don't panic, it's okay, but this is what he says. In an interview about what is wrong in the technical sector, he revealed that in his book, one of the 10 arguments is spiritually rooted. He says this, social media is a continuous behavior modification on a mass basis. With everyone under surveillance by their devices, and receiving calculated stimulus to modify them. It's a bad religion. It's nerdy, empty, sterile, ugly, useless religion that's based on false ideas. I found that quite amazing. That is a researcher with Microsoft beginning to expose some of the lies and deception that we are all being drawn into through social media. Where do you go to for wisdom? 
We are now living in a generation where most younger people and a good deal of older people use search engines for their primary source of education. I'll often say it to Janice, let's just Google it. We heard somebody on the premier radio this morning called Ridian Roberts, beautiful voice singing a lovely song. And I said to Janice, was he the guy on X Factor some years ago, somebody called Ridian? And before I had chance to Google it, Janice had Googled it, and she said, yes, it's the same guy. We all go to Google nowadays for knowledge, for understanding, for learning, and for information. But what Google tells us, is it true? How do you avoid behaving like Eve and not becoming deceived by the tempting fruit of our age. Ben prayed something just a little earlier, and I've got a pet, pet hate. I've got a pet hate of the word awesome being used in all manner of contexts. It happens in our family. I often hear it. I hear parents say to your children, you are awesome. That was awesome, awesome, awesome. And Ben prayed this morning. He said, awesome, God, you are only, you alone are the true definition of awesome. Yeah. And it's true. The Bible says in Psalms, holy and awesome is his name. But we've taken that word, we've minimized it, we've devalued it. And we apply it to anything, and it is not true. Our children are not awesome. They might do some great work at some time. They might need to be well congratulated. But to use a word like that is really quite inappropriate. And yet, this is the age in which we live. We get sucked into this kind of thinking. And without evaluating it ourselves, we often can behave in the same way. We live in a secular world and therefore we need wisdom to live faithfully to God's word in a culture that constantly undermines the truth. So a vitally important question for all of us is simply this, how should I live wisely in a foolish world? So we're going to look at some passages this morning and uh, we had something read to us from Phil from Proverbs <laughs> chapter 4 and, and we're going to go straight into there because the first thing we need to do we need to get wisdom it says in Proverbs 4 verse 5 and 7 get wisdom getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do Proverbs 4 verse 7 when Solomon became king, God appeared to him and said to him, what do you want, Solomon? Ask and I will give it to you. And Solomon replied, God, will you give me wisdom and knowledge to lead your people properly? For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God replied, I will certainly give you wisdom and knowledge as you have requested. God expected him to ask for wealth and for riches, as most people would, but he asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom, God said, I will also give you wealth and riches. And Solomon was one of the wealthiest kings that ever lived. But he also became known as the wisest king that ever lived. 
And when the Queen of Sheba, Sheba is now modern day Yemen, when this queen came to visit Solomon to learn of his wisdom, after her visit to Chronicles chapter 9, this is what she said. Everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I have not heard half of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God. Now, it's one thing to have wisdom. It's another thing to use it. And Solomon didn't always use his wisdom as he should have done, particularly in relationships with the opposite sex. But he used his wisdom to govern as king over his nation. And he now writes in the book of Proverbs as a father to his son, wanting his son to understand, wanting his son not to make the same mistakes that his father made. And I want you just to listen from the Message Bible, Proverbs 4, verses 2 to 7. Let's just rehear what he is saying. Thank you, Janice. Listen, friends, to some fatherly advice. Sit up and take notice so that you'll know how to live. I'm giving you good counsel. Don't let it go in one ear and out of the other. When I was a boy at my father's knee, the pride and joy of my mother, he would sit me down and drill me. Take this to heart. Do what I tell you and live. Sell everything and buy wisdom. Forage for understanding. Don't forget one word. Don't deviate an inch. Never walk away from wisdom. She guards your life. Love her. She keeps her eye on you. And above all and before all, do this. Get wisdom. Write this at the top of your list. Get understanding. Thank you. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, you will find the word wisdom occurs again and again and again. It is in spiritual typology a reference to Jesus because it talks about wisdom is worth more than rubies. There's nothing I desire more than wisdom. It's a, there's a spiritual allegory there, but in looking at it in the natural sense, it is constantly, Solomon is constantly speaking about gaining wisdom and understanding to lead the right kind of life. So how do we get wisdom? Well, the first place we get wisdom from is the word of God. It is not Google, it is the word of God, the Bible. There are known in the Bible what is called wisdom books. And the wisdom books are Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Song of Solomon. These are the wisdom books because they are sayings, they are statements, they are wise words that help us to know how to live in every kind of circumstance of life. Wisdom comes from God. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, for the Lord grants wisdom. James tells us in the New Testament, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all. And Joshua, when he was given the responsibility to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, Moses had died, he was given this instruction, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything that's written in it, 
Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. Joshua only had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what is known as the law. That is all that Joshua had. But God says, study this day and night so that it will give you knowledge and understanding and wisdom to be able to lead my people into the promised land. It says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Peter says in the New Testament, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We get wisdom from the Bible. And if we ignore the Bible, if we don't have a disciplined routine of reading the scriptures, we will go through life and make lots of foolish mistakes. Billy Graham, that renowned world evangelist, a great man of God, he said this, I used to read five Psalms every day. That teaches me how to get along with God. Then I read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and that teaches me how to get along with my fellow man. Brilliant. You see, Solomon wanted his son to understand that lifestyle is a reflection of what you believe. What you believe determines how you live. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines the choices and the decisions that you make in life. Lifestyle is a reflection of what you believe. If we study the scriptures, if we fill our hearts and minds with the word of God, we will have wisdom to lead a life that is successful, fruitful, pleasing to God and a blessing to others. So we get wisdom from the word of God, but we also get wisdom by making time to be with older and wiser people. We grow by input from others. So all of our children are going back to school tomorrow. For some of you, you are probably cheering in your hearts. How would you feel if your children tomorrow were taught by a seven-year-old? <laughs> You'd be, you'd be going crazy. You would. Um, a year or so ago, our six-year-old granddaughter, Erica, uh, when she was in the, the early years of school, one day the teacher said, who would like to lead the class? So she, Erica immediately put her hand up. <laughs> and she went to the front of the class. And they do this something like this now in school. They take photographs and they send them home to parents very carefully so that the parents can see some of the things that go on with the children in class, so the parents get an idea. So little Erica, she stood in front of the class, and I don't know if she said, Simon says do this or whatever, but she had a few minutes, and the teacher was really impressed with her confidence just to stand up and lead the class. Apparently it's something that she does from time to time as a teacher. But how would you imagine, what would you feel if a seven or eight year old was standing up teaching? They don't have the wisdom, they don't have the knowledge. Wisdom comes from being with older and wiser people. You know, the Bible says in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. That's about all we know of the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Apart from his birth, after that, we don't know anything, but it tells us that he grew in wisdom and in stature. 
Jesus obviously spent time with people who were older and wiser than him, who were an input and a develop, a, a, who developed and inputted his life <coughs> in important ways. There was a time when Jesus went to visit Mary and Martha, as he often did. Martha was preparing a meal, and you may know the story. Mary went and sat at Jesus' feet. Sitting at someone's feet in biblical times was the common pose of a disciple sitting at the feet of their rabbi. You learn from a rabbi by sitting at their feet. And it says, while Martha was preparing the meal, Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening to what he taught. Whose feet do you sit at? Who is your mentor? Who do you go to for wisdom concerning life and important decisions? Those of you who are younger, you need to seek out people who are older and wiser so that you can learn and grow from their knowledge and their wisdom. There was a young man in the Acts of the Apostles by the name of Apollos. He was a great public speaker. He was a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ and he preached with great authority. But one day he was preaching and all he knew was Jesus had come and died on the cross. John the Baptist came and taught us to be baptized in water. He knew nothing of the presence and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So there was a couple called Aquila and Priscilla. And the Bible says in Acts 18, they took him to one side and they explained the word of God to him more thoroughly. They took this passionate young man and they mentored him. And then he went on and he preached the gospel with great passion and with great uh, fruitfulness. Do you have a mentor? You need somebody, older and wiser people that you can spend time with, who can teach you, who can instruct you, who can guide you and help you, particularly when there are important decisions, when there are important issues that need to be decided in your life. It's good to go to those godly men and women who can guide you and who can help you. So the first thing the Bible says, we need to get wisdom. And we get wisdom from the word of God and from taking time to be with older and wiser godly men and women but the second thing that's important here is that we need to make wisdom our foundation make wisdom your foundation proverbs 24 verse 3 says a house is built by wisdom and proverbs 9 verse 10 says fear of the lord is the foundation of wisdom now we had read to us by sarah the story that Jesus told of the wise and foolish builders. The fool built his house on sand. It had no solid foundation. I have this scene in my mind that he fancied living by the sea and he wanted a house that had a beautiful outlook and he could get up in the morning, run down the beach and go into the sea somewhere like the Caribbean, you know, where it's beautiful and warm, perfectly clear water and just a delight to live in. So that's where he wanted to build his house. But of course, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Everybody knows that it is stupid to build upon sand. Sand moves. There's no stability in sand. It's a stupid thing to do. But then there's another story that Jesus told 
about five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. They were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. In biblical times, weddings took place very late at night or maybe early in the morning, probably because of the heat of the day. And the wise bridesmaids didn't take any, they took extra oil for their lamps, knowing that they would have to wait through the night. They weren't sure when the bridegroom would be ready. It's not like our English weddings where the bride has the right to turn up late for the wedding and the bridegroom is always there early. It was the other way around in biblical times. They waited for the bridegroom to arrive and they didn't know when he would arrive, but when he arrived, the bridesmaids would accompany the bridegroom to the wedding ceremony. Well, these foolish ones, didn't think to take extra oil. And when the bridegroom arrived, their lamps had gone out, so they couldn't see to follow him to the wedding celebration. What is the significance of these two stories? Why did Jesus tell us these stories? Well, it's very simple. First of all, don't build your life on an unstable foundation. I guess we have all noticed people whose lives collapse and fall apart because the foundation of their lives, the values, the principles have not been there. And when something serious happens, they just fall apart and they're in a big, big mess. The Bible teaches us build your life upon a sure and stable foundation. That's why Jesus is referred to as the rock. We can build our lives upon him. We know that if we put our faith and trust in him, we have a sure and a secure foundation that will guide us and lead us through life. So the first story it says, it teaches us, don't build your life on an unstable foundation. The second story about the foolish bridesmaids is simply this. Don't live your life unprepared for eternity. You see, living here three score years and 10, 70, 80, 90, or however years we're blessed with, that's not the sum total. God has put eternity in our hearts. And our time on this earth is very brief compared with the time we will spend in eternity, where eternity has no time. But time is the preparation for eternity. Don't go through your life unprepared for eternity. That's what Jesus was teaching, because Jesus is one day coming back again. And if we're still alive, we need to be prepared for when he returns. And to be wise in these two stories of the builder and the bridesmaids, it's from a Greek word, phronomis, which literally means be sensible. Have your head screwed on the right way. Sensible people build their lives on the principles of the Bible and they live prepared for eternity. So we need to get wisdom. We need to make wisdom our foundation. But then finally, we need wisdom to pursue right relationships. Because in Proverbs 28 verse 26, it says, anyone, anyone who walks, anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. You see, God designed us for a relationship. But most of our problems in life stem from relationships where there has been wrong behavior. Think about it for a moment. 
Most of our problems in life stem from relationships where there has been wrong behavior. Solomon gives his son seven principles that will safeguard him as he journeys through life and enable him to pursue right relationships. I'm just going to get Janice to read them to us. It's from uh, Proverbs 6 and verses 16 to 19. She's reading from the Message Bible. Here are six things God hates and one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, and a troublemaker in the family. Okay, thank you. So we need wisdom to pursue right relationships. Seven things Solomon gives us here I'll just run through. First of all, we must not have eyes that are arrogant. That means being proud, being self-righteous in the way you look and present yourself. In Proverbs 11 verse 2, it says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The Bible also says in the New Testament, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And it also says in the in a book of uh, James, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't don't think highly of yourself. We live in a society that feeds pride. Our celebrity culture is bigging people up all the time and, and inflating people's ego and making them think, oh, what a wonderful, great person I am. Wisdom comes from living in humility. And we mustn't have eyes that look at ourselves in the mirror and say, oh, what a wonderful, great person I am. God detests that. And there is no wisdom in that. So do not have eyes that are arrogant. Secondly, do not have a tongue that tells lies. The truth sets you free. Dishonesty ensnares you. It says in Proverbs 10, 13, wise words come from the lips of people with understanding. James said that the tongue is as a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. We all know we have to control the tongue. We all know the old rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is not true. Words do hurt. We have to be wise in what we say. We have to choose our words carefully. We have to speak the truth in love and we have to use words that are pleasing and honorable to God. So let me just say this, bad language is out. There is no need ever to use bad language. No matter how annoyed or frustrated you may be, it does not do any good. It dishonors the person you are saying it to, and it does not help you in any sense whatsoever. We need to lead pure lives and speak pure words that bring blessing and honor. So we must not have a tongue that speaks lies. Speak the truth at all times. No matter what it may cost, always be truthful and honest in what you say. The third thing that is wisdom, we are to have hands that do not murder the innocent. When I read this, I thought, wow, that's a bit strong. Hands that do not murder the innocent. 
Do you know it's easy to kill another person's ambition? To crush a child's spirit? To put someone down and belittle them? We can actually kill, not in a literal sense, but in many other ways we can. There are many children who were crushed in their upbringing and they still carry the pain and the wounding of that well into adulthood because of parents who were unwise with their actions and with their words. We must not be people whose hands murder the innocent. We can kill with our words. We can kill with our behavior. It says in Proverbs 29, 11, fools vent their anger but the wise quietly hold back. The first murder in the Bible was a result of anger. Cain killed his brother because he was angry. He wasn't angry with Abel, he was angry with God because God did not accept his offering. Cain knew the kind of offering he was supposed to bring, but he didn't bring it. And his anger over feeling rejected was taken out on his brother and he killed him. We must be careful that we don't kill the ambitions, the desires, the good intentions of other people. Fourthly, a heart that does not hatch evil plots, impure motives, desires to get ahead of someone else, selfish ambition. That's what this is all about. It says in Proverbs 23 verse 4, don't wear yourself out by trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Some people do not know when to stop. They're on a constant quest to pursue this and that in life, to build a bigger empire. The Bible says that God blesses those who walk humbly with him. The fifth thing is that we're not to have feet that race down a wicked track. We live with many influences that are designed to take us down sinful and destructive pathways. This is especially true for young people today. Those of you who have children, let me ask you this challenging question. How many of you know what your children view on their phones? Those of them that have phones. How many of you know what your children view on their phones? We need to be careful and wise as parents. Let me just read you something else from this book that I quoted earlier. Okay. What wisdom can the older generation offer millennials and teens who are bombarded with pornographic content, whether or not they are looking for it? Porn is more accessible than ever before in human history, and it's taking the sexual imaginations of young men and increasingly young women captive. Exposure to porn is but one of the examples that is not something that might happen but it's when it will happen we can count on the next generation being exposed to attitudes values perspectives and behaviors that are anti-christian in their formation this is the world in which we live and as parents we have the responsibility to protect our children but also if i can use this word wisely police our children so that we're making sure that they're not being exposed and influenced by things that will corrupt and damage their hearts and their minds. As parents, we have a very grave responsibility. 
we need to protect them from going down pathways that will lead to damaging their minds and causing them to, to form wrong behaviors. It says in Proverbs 15, 24, the path of life leads upwards for the wise. This world wants us to walk on a path that leads downward, but the path of life leads upwards for those who are wise. And in Proverbs 2, 16, it says, wisdom will save you from the immoral woman. In other words, wisdom will save you from sexual temptations. We need to guard and protect our lives and especially our children. The sixth principle he gives us here for wisdom to pursue right relationships is a mouth that keeps its oath. In other words, this is all about keeping your promises. This is about being true and faithful to your word, being reliable and dependable. Proverbs 2 verse 12, wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. And then finally, the seventh point for wisdom to pursue right relationships is not being a troublemaker in the family. This is the extra one that Solomon added. He said, I've got six, but he says, no, there's seven. The seventh one is really important. This is about family dissension, family discord. We know that families are broken by so many things nowadays. Wisdom is about building a family. And in Proverbs 29, verse three, it says, the man who loves wisdom will bring joy to his father and his mother. So we need to be people who lead wise lives in a foolish world. We have to get wisdom. We get it through the word of God. We have to build upon wisdom, build our lives upon the foundations of God's truth. And we need to build wisdom into our relationships by following the principles of God's word. 